0: or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballar and this is the Know Your Why podcast.
1: Today I'm here with Ash Patel. Ash has left a 15 year long corporate career and has been a full time commercial real estate investor for over 10 years. As a value add investor and has purchased retail, warehouse, office, industrial, um, actually all, all kinds of different asset classes. Ash, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there and, and sort of first start by saying thank you, thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate your time.
2: Thank you for the invite. Glad to be
1: here. Awesome. Would you just tell us your background? Give the listeners an idea of you know sort of where you came from, maybe a little bit about that corporate background, and then um, what you've been doing in the real estate space, and uh, we'll, then we'll dive in.
2: Yeah. So born and raised in Jersey. Went to school in Indiana. Um, got my IT job after college, and um, Always had a side hustle from day one because I knew I wasn't going to work for somebody forever. And as the years went by, some of those side hustles failed. Some of them I had exits from. But as the years progressed, I was making more and more money. And those golden handcuffs were harder to take off, right? Um, it's like okay, if, if I leave this job, how do I replace this income? And I think it's a dilemma that a lot of people have today. Um, but looking back, I was in my twenties, I should have sacrificed. Uh, you know, slept on a friend's couch, so to speak, and roughed it um, and really gone after some of those side hustles. Long story short, it wasn't until uh, 2009, I quit my job, started an IT consulting company, and uh, I wanted to work less and maybe make the same. It ended up being a lot of work, a lot of travel. Uh, it, it, you know, it was I was out of the corporate grind, but I was still waking up super early, working long nights. Um, And it wasn't until I found real estate that I truly found my calling. And again, first property I got lucky was a mixed-use building, college kids living above the beer store that they were buying all their booze from. Um, And I, I was able to see the college kids destroy my apartments, and I was able to see this commercial tenant replace the HVAC on their dime, remodel their store on their dime. And it blew me away that you have two classes of tenants one that improve your space and one that destroys it. So from then on, I dropped everything I was doing, became a full-time commercial real estate investor.
1: That's fantastic. And it, I mean, actually a very interesting perspective there that I, I don't, never heard it really put that way, but yeah, seeing um, that sort of comparison between tenants renting an apartment versus tenants renting a, a store or so, you know, something, something commercial that... that that they're trying to have, they're trying to create a, a business out of and things like. So it's it's actually an interesting way to think about that.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, business owners will take a lot of pride in their space. They'll clean up around the outside. They'll pick up trash in the parking lot. Residential tenants will never do
1: that, right? Yeah, yeah, they're not. It's hard to get hard to get them on board as far as you know, kind of cleaning around the area. Right. So that was the, that was the first property in you know, what what got you there though, right? I, I understand you didn't want to, you know, have the grind, but what, what got you to the point of saying, I'm going to go ahead and, and buy this, you know, sort of mixed use building?
2: Man, that's a good question. And it exposes how stupid I was at the time. Um, I always heard real estate was a great way to write off taxes. And Jason, every year my wife and I would go to our CPA and we would say, hey, what can we do to reduce our taxable burden? And this guy wouldn't even look up at us and he would just grunt, You know, if you make it, you got to pay it. And I thought there's got to be a better way, right? So I looked into all these crazy offshore trusts and exotic investments. And, you know, you always hear real estate people talking about the tax benefits. I had no idea how depreciation worked, how uh, write-offs worked, none of that. I didn't know what 1031s were. Um, So I figured, okay, real estate's the way to go. And again, I I was a moron. I bought the building, and had no idea what I was doing and learned it as I went. That's,
1: I I feel like that's actually how a lot of people get started, right? They're just, uh, someone told me real estate is a good, (laughs) a good thing to do, a good thing to invest in. And we just go out and buy something.
2: Yes, however, I think a lot of people will buy the house down the street, right? They Mm -hmm. wanna buy something close to them so that they can touch and feel it and fix it and keep an eye on it. And um, again, I got lucky by buying that mixed use building because if I had bought the house down the street, I would have followed the same path as everyone else, you know, a couple of single families and then go to a multifamily and then go bigger and bigger, never probably would have looked at
1: commercial. And so you have stayed sort of exclusively in that commercial space, sort of completely away from multifamily You're you're looking at, you know, sort of you've been investing in, in, you know, commercial buildings, uh, triple net lease, all of that sort of exclusively.
2: Uh, I will invest in a lot of other people's deals. Uh, I'll invest in other people's mobile home parks, uh, apartments. Um, you know, I've, I've done a, a lot of syndications where I've invested as a passive investor. Um, but now uh, I'm exclusively active on my own. Infrequently, I'll still invest in other people's deals, but the returns in those asset classes, you know, 2014, 15, we used to get 26, 28 percent IRRs on multifamily, as a passive investor. And today the entire industry has gotten 7, 8% PREF, 15 to 18% IRR, boring, and not enough meat on the bone. So the deals that we do, uh, we don't get into unless there are 20% cash on cash return at inception. If they're lower, they, there has to be a good value add play.
1: Okay. How do you find those deals? And because um, you're talking, now we're talking specifically in commercial deals. So there's, it, it's, it's a little bit of a different, I guess, underwriting and, and way, th- you know, things that you would look for in terms of value add.
2: Yes. That's a great question. Um, most people will go to LoopNet, Crexie, start underwriting deals, and they're going to say, Ash, oh, you're crazy. There's no 20% returns out there. And for the most part, uh, you're right. They're not advertised as 20%, especially if they're listed by a professional commercial broker. So one of the best ways for your listeners to find great commercial deals, look at the residential MLS, right? When you have a residential realtor posting a commercial deal, if you have a residential realtor and you say, hey, you know, I want to sell my house, but I'm moving to Florida. I also want to sell my office building or my strip mall where my business is located. Can you handle that too? I think every single residential realtor would say, of course I can, and they'll figure it out because they want that exposure. They want to learn on the job, right? No fault of their own, um, but they often misprice it. So we constantly keep an eye on residential realtors listing commercial properties. That's one. Another one is mismarketed deals. So a lot of people, when they search on LoopNet or Crexy, they will put in the parameter, the search criteria. I only want nine caps or above well, okay, like 50% of the people are doing the same thing you're doing. So you're not gonna find a deal unless you have first mover advantage, right? You hit it as soon as it was listed. So we don't have any search criteria. We'll scour an entire area or the entire country. And when you see a seven cap that most people would dismiss, dive into the details. We, we just bought a building in uh, one of the suburbs of Atlanta and it was advertised as a warehouse. Well, really, it was a co-working business in a warehouse. And the whole thing was for sale. Not and If you if you look at just the real estate, it doesn't make sense for $1.6 But if you look at the fact that there's an established co-working business that's been around for a number of years, it's almost self-sufficient. Our cash on cash returns on that were 37%. We just closed on Friday, last Friday. And the rents have never been increased. There's a waiting list of 30 people trying to get in. So increasing the rents marginally will bring our cash on cash returns to 60%. So you gotta dive into those deals, right? Jason, biz by sell Mm -hmm. is another great way where nobody's looking for commercial deals. So I've learned that business brokers often don't know much about commercial real estate. Commercial real estate brokers know very little about buying and selling businesses they they don't interact at all so when you get on biz by sell a lot of times you'll see uh, business for sale i bought a building it was advertised as bar restaurant for sale well this bar restaurant had been closed for two years there's no value in a place that's had a sign and never opened their doors for two years the only value is the real estate and the liquor license so i approached the business broker Taught him that there's no value in a closed restaurant because no one's going to take over that name that's been associated with a, a shut down restaurant. Um, he understood. And I bought this building way undervalued, right? So look where no one else is looking. Stop following these textbooks, these playbooks that everyone else is following, right? Multifamily is probably the most guilty of it. There's so many good books, programs, boot camps, conferences on multifamily. And all people do is they go out there and they follow the playbook, right? Man, flip the script, do something different, right? Yeah. Otherwise you have no competitive advantage.
1: Yeah. It makes total sense. And I I think, um, that's a really good kind of strategy or, or point, you know, the, the combination with these commercial, with commercial real estate. Now you're talking about there's, there's likely to be a business involved. So, if you can have a handle on sort of both sides of it the real estate and the business component then then yeah i guess that makes a whole lot more sense in terms of how you're able to sort of juice those cash flows you're going to get you're going to get your real estate cash flow as well as that business side cash flow
2: keep in mind that was a one off example i'm typically not a proponent of buying businesses because i don't want to buy a job mm-hmm. so i really tried to talk my partners out of this until we saw the returns right and then we realized that your staff that's working in the co-working space they're mostly sitting idle behind a desk welcoming people or giving new members a tour well while they're sitting behind a desk they can be our virtual assistants right they they can do a lot of admin stuff for myself and my partners remotely so um that was a benefit right but I'm not a fan of buying car washes, laundromats, all the things that are trending right now because you're buying a job, right? And as much as people think a lot of those businesses are passive, I I beg to differ unless you scale, right? Sure. Having one laundromat is not passive. Having 10, you could put systems in place. Having a car wash, um, I, I was approached by somebody that uh, showed me a car wash. The numbers were through the roof. However, they had 20 people on staff, 10 full-time, 10 part-time. So this was a major operation. Mm-hmm. I want no part of that, right? You need an HR department for that, no interest. Yeah. yeah. So be defensive with your time.
1: Yeah, no, that's a great piece of advice. I mean, you, you definitely, there. there's, you, you've got to decide what you want, right? You've got to decide what you want to get out of your investing, whether in, in how passive or how active is, is good for you and, and yet running a business unless that business you're buying already has like a a good management uh, team in place a good operator in place and you're literally just kind of um, collecting profits that's you, you're right you, you know now you take on a staff of 20 you've got a whole new set of headaches that that you didn't have before and sure you might make some some money for that but it, it there's a there's a lifestyle uh, cost that comes along with it um, what do you? Are are you, you? I know you're talking. You know, looking at twenty percent cash on cash. Are you syndicating these deals? Or are you just kind of buying them yourself? You know, uh, I think yeah. Passively, that would be a tremendously high cash on cash. People would be extremely excited about that. So, what's your what's your strategy in terms of you know how you're funding them?
2: Um, good question. And I'll, I'll give you the backstory. Um, For the better part of 10 years, I was a one man shop, right? Um, It wasn't until recently hired coaches and learned to get out of my own way. So now I have two partners. Uh, We do syndicate the deals, but we often take 50% of the deal um, because we want in on them too, right? Right. They're they're phenomenal deals. So unlike a lot of operators where they just uh, raise the entire amount, we still want in on our deals. So we'll let other people in. Um, You have to understand that with commercial deals, uh, the the price points are different than multifamily. You can find 30, 40, $50 million multifamily complexes all over. You can't really find $30 million strip malls. Even the class a strip mall with the best buy or the whole foods in it, they're going to run 10 to 15 million. Right? So, our price points are much lower. And honestly, the the value add, the, the ideal strip mall is one uh, similar to what we purchased in uh, a year ago. It was a Dollar Tree anchor and it had 96,000 square feet. It had a mix of mom and pop tenants, national tenants, a little bit of vacancy, triple net leases, gross leases, and a giant parking lot where we can build an Outlaw. So why why is that ideal, right? Because all the triple net people that wanna park money, want that mailbox money, they're not chasing this deal. It was a $5 million deal. And all of the people that um, are out of state maybe that want value add deals, they may look at this as too heavy of a lift. This was in town where we live. So it was perfect for us, right? And as we were a year now into managing the property, We've gotten some lease ups, fill, filling vacancies, selling an outlaw. This $5 million strip mall is worth seven and a half million in one year at the same cap rate, at an at eight cap, right? So nothing, not a four cap, not a five cap, right. at an eight cap that we can sell very easily for seven and a half million.
1: When you say building an outlaw, what, what are you referring to there?
2: So historically, a lot of municipalities overdid their parking. They wanted, you know, let's 20 spots per thousand square feet of whatever. And those old strip malls were in giant, giant parking lots before e-commerce, before we got lazy and stopped going to stores. Um, So often you'll find older strip malls or retail or office buildings that have way more parking than they'll ever use. So you do a parking study and you prove to your municipality that hey look i have more parking than i'll ever use so can i build a mcdonald's can i build a starbucks in this corner of the parking lot then you do a traffic study they want to make sure you're not going to impede the flow of traffic on whatever major road that you're on Uh, but you know you check off uh, all your boxes and you get approval to section off a part of your parking lot and now you've got a national company coming into your store or coming into your land. Um, So uh, you've know you increased the value of your property tremendously and out lots are all the rage, right? There's literally malls where, you you know how big mall parking lots are. No one's going to the malls. So malls, while they're not demolishing them, they're going vacant, but they're using the parking lot to build new outdoor strip malls.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: We've gotten lazy over the years, man. We don't want to go into the mall park a mile away and walk, you know, 30 stores away to to go to the Apple store.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, that uh, that makes sense. It's a great strategy. The, uh, I I would assume that you've got to sort of figure out if that's a viable option before you buy, right? You're probably looking at those things as part of your due diligence.
2: We didn't bank on this. Um, It would have taken too long to get approval from the city, you know, 30, 45 days of due diligence. Uh, we thought about it loosely, but it did not enter into our pro forma. Okay. Right. So it's one of those things that, hey, be great if it happens, but we're not banking on it. We don't need that to make the deal work. And by the way, that deal was 18% cash on cash at inception. And we offered our investors an 18% preferred return every year. But we flipped the script on the back end. Instead of the 70 30, it's a 30 70 we knew there's going to be so much upside in the back end um so the lps get 30% of the upside gps get 70% and again i've got half the deal myself
1: well oh, it's great it's i mean it, it's this is one of my favorite things about real estate is it's just like every guest i talk to on the podcast every person i meet it's like people do every, I love hearing about sort of new strategies and it's not new, just it's maybe not talked about as much. You're, you're right. You know, all of these, there's a million different um, multifamily, you know, sort of training programs and, and all of this, but there's not a lot of uh, people talking about what you're talking about and, and, and taking these sort of specific creative ways of approaching it. I think it's just not really very common.
2: Yeah, I'll give you another example. Um and you're right, Jason, there's no good conferences, boot camps, even books, even YouTube videos on commercial real estate, right? Every deal is so different and the only way to learn is by experience or the experience of others. Uh, I'll give you another quick example. My partner found a strip mall that was being built and she said, "Ash, you know, fly down to Atlanta and let's go try to meet this builder." And I said, there's no money in a new build strip mall. The builder is gonna sell it for top dollar because he can. Everybody wants a shiny new strip mall. She convinced me to fly down there. Um, the, the developer wouldn't return her calls. So she had no way of getting a hold of them. She starts stalking him on social media, finds out one of his friends is a realtor. Perfect, calls a realtor. Hey, your buddy that's building the strip mall, get me a meeting with him. So it's us, the realtor and the developer. And obviously the the realtor now wants to represent us. Fine. If if you get us the connection, we'll do it. Um, So we tell the developer, uh, we want to buy the strip mall. And he says, we've got this other building going up. We've got a flex space building going up. We said, look, we'll just buy the whole thing off of you. Show us the numbers. And shows us the numbers and they don't work, right? Obviously he's going to charge top dollar. So I told my partner, hey, great job. Good try. Doesn't work got to find value add there's no money in new strip malls she wouldn't give up and um she's like let me let me take another stab at this reads all the leases calls me in a couple days and says ash you're not going to believe this but there's no renewals in these leases and i said there's no way She she sent them to me i read through them they're all five-year leases with no renewals and what that means for us is in five years these tenants have beautifully built out spaces. They're high-end boutique stores, salons, restaurants. So in five years, we're going to say, Hey guys, you, you're way below market. We've got to get you a little bit closer to market and increase their rent significantly. Their options are try to set up shop somewhere else, or hopefully their business is booming and they're happy to pay the increased rent. Right? So, um, Renewals only help the tenants because typically they would have said 10% every five-year rent increase. Well, they're already way below market in year one because that area is just booming. So although in year one, it's a 12% return and with the built-in 3% increases, it goes up 2%. So 14, 16, 18, 20% return in year five, just organically, full triple net leases no landlord responsibilities, but again, at the end of year five is when you hit a home run. So, like, no one ever teaches that, right? No one. There's no books or YouTube videos that share that. I try to share all of this. Um, you know, there's an abundance of deals out there, so I want everybody to pivot. Look at the mom and pop strip mall down the street. You don't need to buy, uh, you know, the Costco, the the Home Depot. There's neighborhood strip malls in suburban downtowns where there's a dog groomer, the insurance place, the pizza place, the deli, the barbershop, the nail salon. Those are all internet-resistant, recession-resistant businesses, right? And you can often buy them for the price of a single-family house. And the returns are way higher. So, Jason, I'm, I'm begging your audience to take the blinders off. Pivot. We've got some economic headwinds coming. Look at other asset classes, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm interested. I, (laughs) I drive around and see these things and I, you know, I'm like, there's strip malls everywhere. There's these little, you know, the Seven Eleven and, and a couple of other little stores in there that, you know, certainly would be, I think, like you said, could be a great play. And, and your, it also seems it's kind of a, uh, it's fun because it's because everyone's a little bit different, right? You're gonna have, you know, like you said, you got to really look at those details and figure out. In the example you just gave, oh, there's no renewals here, so we we got to look at look at different ways to sort of, um, you know, strike gold, if you will.
2: Yeah, another good example of that is um, our Dollar Tree strip mall. We got excited, right? Uh, we can build an outlaw and then we read through all of the leases. Dollar Tree sits in the center of this strip mall. They're the anchor. They have a sight line provision. And what that means is from their footprint to the road, that entire parking lot, like two parallel lines, you can't build or impede that in any way. So now we can't build a giant outlot. We're getting uh, a Scooter's Coffee, which is inline dual drive-through coffee, right? Starbucks has some of those, uh, slim locations. Uh, so, you know, that's another variable that when you underwrite deals, you've got to look at every single detail.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that sounds, you know, be creative. So no, you know, not just saying, okay, they have this, these site line restrictions. Now we're going to figure out a different way to, you know, sort of puts, put something smaller uh, than, than you would might, might've originally, um, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very interesting. You mentioned some of the ways that you find these deals at the beginning, you know, you said, look on the MLS, uh, you know, biz buy sell, like kind of all of that stuff. When when you're talking about, you know, you just said to the listeners, kind of, you know, look around you at these, do, do you go, you know, sort of direct to seller in those instances, if you if someone's, you know, driving around their neighborhood, Sort of in a, I guess, driving for dollars type style, and they and they say that looks like a great strip mall for me to buy, a good starting point. Is there, is that some a strategy you suggest they they utilize? Sort of try to skip trace the owner or something like that.
2: A hundred percent. Um, in the ten years that I've been doing this, I've gotten one postcard that said, "Hey, would love to buy your building." It didn't say your property, didn't say your house. I'd love to buy your building. So I knew it was somebody chasing commercial deals. One postcard in 10 years, over 10 years, right? For any residential property I own weekly, my mailbox is stuffed with letters and postcards and text messages. Um, So yes, nobody's wholesaling commercial. And two, yes, driving for dollars. Whenever you see a for lease sign, that landlord or that owner has a pain point, call them up. Hey, I'm inquiring about your space. Tell me more about it. Can you tell me more about your building? Well, I'm actually an investor. I'd love to buy your building. They're going to get pissed and they're going to say, look, this is not for sale. It's for lease." Awesome. Let me call you back in two weeks. And I've had this happen to me, right? Where um, when I got that postcard, um, I dismissed it. I was impressed, but dismissed it, threw it out. And then that night I went home and I'm like, you know, that building really doesn't do much for me. It's just self-sustaining. I wouldn't mind getting the cash out of it. Had that person followed up with me in two weeks, I would have called them. They failed in the follow-up, right? So, yes, you know, the commercial people will be taken back because we don't get hit up like apartment people or residential people, but that follow up two weeks later in the consistent follow-up is what will get deals done. Yeah.
1: No, that's great. Great. Makes makes total sense. And yeah, skip trace
2: um, deals, right? If there's yeah. if there's something that you see that has some vacancy, overgrown grass. Signage is in disrepair. Uh, tarp on the roof. You, by all means, skip trace it. Take their problem off their hands.
1: Yeah, yeah. If they're not, you know, sort of actively maintaining and 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 having it look nice, then it's probably a problem property for them. They probably don't really want, <laughs> probably don't want that headache anymore. So you might be doing them a favor. Yes. Awesome. Ash, let's let's switch gears. I want to um, get to ask you the questions that I ask every guest. Uh, the first one, based on the name of the show, being "Know Your Why." What is your why? What what drives you forward for um, you know bigger and bigger success?
2: You know, initially, uh, I thought it was the money, but then in my twenties, when I had all those side hustles, working a full time job and working every night and weekend, um, there was money coming in, but it didn't motivate me. So I realized it wasn't money that motivates me, and then uh, it was time freedom. And, um, that's a real thing, but I work 14, 18, sometimes 20 hour days. So it's not really time freedom. (laughs) Um, it's honestly, I love what I do. Right. Um, if I hit the lottery, I would still do this. I would just, I don't know, maybe buy bigger, become lazier in my underwriting not (laughs) care as much about the returns. Uh, but I would never stop doing this. Right. And I also mentor a lot of people and that's the most fulfilling thing. So really just loving what you're doing, right? And for all your listeners, man, find something you love doing. Jason, I used to hate waking up to go to my nine to five, like dreaded my commutes to work. And now if I can't sleep, I'll come downstairs to my office and work. Weekends, like I want to work a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's hard to, to just kind of, I guess, Put it down sometimes if you're passionate about it, which, I, I guess you know people say if you love what you do, you know if you love your work, it's it's not work anymore. So um, that makes sense.
2: As dumb but, as it sounds, that is true.
1: Yeah. Just sort of a, an aside question based on on what you just mentioned that I that I did want to ask. You talked about you know you, you, if you had won the lottery, you'd be lazy in your underwriting. But I'd imagine that underwriting for these types of deals is a little bit challenging. It's it's not going to be like a multifamily deal where you're just like, these are my different apartment types, my different layouts, I plug that in, here are my expenses. So what do you, do you have, did you develop your own program? What do you do, you know, sort of use for underwriting? You're just kind of um, going through and again, getting sort of creative with each of these deals. How how are you doing that?
2: That's a great question. Um, And the answer may surprise you. It's literally napkin math, right? A lot of people that um, I work with that come from the multifamily world. They have intricate spreadsheets with dozens of different sheets contained within them. And if our deals don't work on napkin math, the deal is not good enough for us. There's not enough meat on the bone. So um, a strip mall, a lot of of places that we buy, we honestly don't care about roof or mechanicals. If we do an inspection, great. Um, We had a call from a roofer saying, hey, do you want just a visual inspection? I'll get up on a ladder and take a peek or do you want me to core drill these flat roofs and give you a detailed report? And I said, just take a look at it. And while you're up there, like tell me how old you think the HVAC units are. And as dumb as that sounds, um, there better be enough meat on the bone where if you have to replace a couple commercial HVAC units, 30 grand a piece, it shouldn't kill your deal, right? So honestly, a very simple pro forma, if the numbers aren't through the roof, move on. If you can't get the numbers to come up significantly through your value add, move on. Okay,
1: yeah, Apartment that makes sense. people,
2: Sorry, look, apartment people have to walk every single unit. They have to look under every single sink, look at all the pipes, um, because they're, they're on such thin margins. We're, we're the opposite, right? We don't care. We've bought uh, properties sight unseen, never looked at them. The numbers were through the roof. Again, residential realtors listing them um so we didn't care about the condition of the roof we can google map the parking lot even though it's a couple years old kind of gauge the roof and parking lot you know and good enough for us
1: yeah yeah well yeah i guess if you're you're looking at these you know phenomenal returns a little bit in in one direction probably isn't a huge deal and it uh, the other thing i think that that probably makes a big difference is that if, if these are mainly triple net leases you don't really have to factor your expenses for each unit into it because that's kind of on that tenant so you're really just looking at what's their rent what do i pay for my debt service and and you know may- maybe some other contingency money in there too
2: yeah jason let me um let me make sure that i'm being real here they're not all triple net leases right these right. mom and pop strip malls will never be triple net leases they often don't even know what a triple net lease is and if you try to put them in one and you give them a cam reconciliation at the end of the year, they're going to be like, look, I pay rent. What is this extra money I owe you? So um, they're not all triple net. And I don't want to make it seem like this is easy to find deals. When I was a one-man shop, uh, I went nine months without finding a single deal and spending hours every day looking. Right. And then all of a sudden three deals come in. Um, Now I've got a staff of people. I've got great partners that are all helping find deals. So it's, it's not as easy. I'm not trying to make this sound easy. I'm really not right. You've got to put a ton of hours into finding these deals because we're looking for unicorns, Right. right? And it's not easy. Um, and they're not all triple net, but I'm telling you that managing business owners is way easier than managing apartment tenants. I used to do pre COVID used to do a happy hour once a quarter at my house for all of my commercial tenants. I wanna hang out with them. I want them to network with each other, grow their businesses because the healthier their business, the less likely there's turnover, right? So definitely not easy and they're not all triple net. Even the triple net ones, let me um, clear up another myth about that. It's not always mailbox money, right? Plenty of triple net, probably most of them, the landlord is responsible for snow removal, exterior maintenance, making sure the sign is functioning. Now they get reimbursed at the end of the year for all of that, but it's still the landlord's responsibility. If there's a roof leak, landlord's paying for it. They're going to get reimbursed with their triple net cam charges, but we're still getting those phone calls, right? Yeah, yeah. The true mailbox monies are, you know, things like Walgreens, Starbucks, McDonald's, where they they don't even have the landlord's phone number. They do everything right. themselves.
1: Right. No, I appreciate that that transparency. I think it's it it is important for people to understand like it's not easy. You you have a different strategy and it's not that you do it because it's easy, it's just it works for you and, and you've been doing it for a while. So yeah, I think once you have that level of experience, it gets a little bit easier for you, but it's not going to be easy for someone to just today go out there and say, I'm gonna buy a strip mall and it's gonna be problem-free mailbox money. You still have to, you know, sort of do your do your uh research and and have some level of knowledge.
2: <laughs> Look man, I still work 12 16 hour days, right? So yeah. none of this yeah. is easy, but if it's fun for you, do it.
1: Right, absolutely. Um well, we got we got a little sidetrack, but I'm glad we talked about that. The, the second question for you though is is uh just tell us something about yourself that maybe isn't common knowledge, uh a special skill, a hobby, anything to to let the listeners know you a little better.
2: Um that's a great question. You know, for most of my life I thought that I was scatterbrained. Um, I I always got criticized for never following through on anything. And uh, I read the book rocket fuel and I learned that it's not a flaw. It's just, you're either a visionary or an integrator and visionaries don't follow through their desks are a mess. They get a bunch of different ideas. They start different things, uh, but they need to be paired up with an integrator to really accomplish big things. Right. So now I've got multiple integrators around me, but look, I'm 47 years old, man. And I think I discovered this at 45, that it's not a character flaw. It's just um, an attribute you got to work with.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it, yeah, you got to know yourself, right. That's, that's, I I talk a lot about on this uh, podcast about knowing your um, investment, what your investment thesis is, what you're trying to get out of it, but, but maybe probably more importantly you need to know yourself you need to know what that's a your great
2: perspective you're
1: right your strength for like you said are you a visionary or are you an integrator um and and find whatever that other you know sort of complementary personality type to to will really make you know it's the book the book title of rocket fuel it'll make your make things take off for you so yeah that's man, you're cool.
2: way smarter than i am <laughs> good for no, you no
1: no i i uh i just i think the um yeah, I I am uh, learned that you got to figure out yourself first, right? Like that—that's how you actually get successful. If you, you know how you work, you'll be able to kind of build build up things around you. Um, Very well said. Thank you. the The next question for you, Ash. When people hear this and they want to uh, get hold of you, what's the best way for them to reach out?
2: Uh, my email address is ash at invest multifamily. Uh, website Invest Beyond Multifamily, Ash Patel, Cincinnati. I'm on LinkedIn, Facebook, Bigger Pockets. I answer everybody's messages personally. Right. That's I mean, great. I'm easy to get a hold of.
1: Yeah. Also, also a host of, of of a fairly big podcast yourself, uh, so they can hear you on the the best ever podcast.
2: Yes, uh, I'm just the host. I uh, I'm not affiliated with the company other than good friends with Joe, but. Uh, yeah, I'm lucky enough to be one of the hosts.
1: That's very cool. Um, and so final question for you, what piece of advice would you give to someone who is starting out, just you know, kind of trying to make their way into real estate and they, they don't know they're in that analysis paralysis phase?
2: Get a mentor, but learn how to do that the right way. Um, I had a, a kid that was 27 years old come up to me. Uh, he emailed me and he said, hey, I just want to get in front of you um i found your favorite restaurants by stalking you on social media he didn't say that but he's like i i think these are some restaurants you like sent me three of them happy to meet you at any one of them whenever you want and i'm like look you know we're away out of town this weekend you're more than welcome to come out it's a little lake house that we have like you're more than welcome to drive if you want to come out here this kid drives all the way out there and when he comes out he all he does is ask me what he could do for me What are my pain points? What are my bottlenecks? And you know, this goes on for an hour. And finally I'm like, stop, you're here for a reason. What can I do for you? He's like, no, I just wanted to get in front of you. And I'm like, come on, man. Like, tell me what you do. (laughs) I had to extract it out of him that he was a pharmacist that quit his job to become a residential wholesaler. And he wanted to learn commercial but he wouldn't outwardly tell me that or ask for help. And every step of the way, all he did was add value. So now he's one of our biggest deal finders, just turned 30 and has made uh, just in one year alone from finding two deals, a half a million dollars. Now it's not cash, it's equity, right? Equity doesn't pay your bills and he's it, going to get it a year, you know years down the road. But um, at 30, he put the time in, he approached the mentorship from a perspective of giving and that's how you got to do it, right? But man, i I had i I had so many opportunities where I should have had mentors, all those businesses that I had. um, I should have gone to score, service Corps of retired entrepreneurs, free program where um I could have gotten help, could have gotten mentors. I think I was too insecure and too afraid that someone would tell me what I was doing was all wrong. um didn't have enough confidence in myself to ask for help. And um it wasn't until you know twenty twenty that I hired coaches and started becoming just a little bit more comfortable asking for help. Still a huge struggle. Don't know why, but I'm begging your audience, man, find a mentor, ask for help. Don't be a leech on their time. Make sure you're adding value, but get help. It shortens the
1: learning curve. Yeah, absolutely. That's and that, and a, and a great story. I mean, it's when you're young, you know, in your, in your twenties, uh, you know, someone like, like that, the example of that guy that you, he, he's, he's, what you have probably at that point is is time you may, you you maybe don't have money and you can use that time to 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 be the value to be that you know be the deal finder for you be whatever whatever you need to do with that time to hustle before you get um you know as as you get older it's seemingly we have less and less time you you might have a family that sort of thing so it's it's a really good i, I get um really passionate about talking to Young people about investing, whether that's actively or passively because I you have time on your side, right? you have you have more free time, but you also have more time in front of you in life to you know sort of get that compounding effect. So um, really, really great piece of advice. I love it.
2: Thank you. Can I plug a mastermind that I have? Please do. Uh, so it's called Invest Beyond Multifamily. We take experienced real estate investors. And teach them what we're doing, right? And again, back to mentoring, I try to find a program where I could level up, and there was nothing out there, right? There's some money grabs that are out there, but um, nothing, you know. We we meet every Tuesday for four months, and we go for two to four hours, um, and it's all me teaching the class. It's not pre-recorded videos, um, and we take mostly multifamily people or single-family people and teach them how to do commercial deals.
0: So how
1: would someone get into that? We can, we put whatever you want, we can put in the show notes. Um, so just you... go
2: to invest beyond multifamily, um, okay. reach out to me. But again, it's for experienced people only. It's not a beginner's program. If you haven't invested in real estate, this will be a waste of your time
1: and money. Okay, okay, great. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll put that in there and um, I'm, I'm interested. That's very cool. <laughs> um. Osh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I, I love, uh, I love what we talked about. I, 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 we really haven't had this conversation on on any of my other episodes, so uh, very cool. I, I, I think you're right. There's, there's not a lot of people doing this, and there's certainly not a lot of um, information available to someone who might want to get started. So, uh, I think your your mastermind could be super valuable. Maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it's your turn to write a book, get that out there for the. for people on the list
2: man it's it's a lot harder than it seems right
1: oh yeah yeah (laughs) we're already working 14 16 hour days Get, get writing a book on top of it will be a challenge but um but yeah again thank you so much for coming on the show today
2: and Jason you're an incredible host and this was an awesome start to my day thank you
1: thank you thank you appreciate it um to the listeners when you hear this i know you're gonna i know you're gonna get a ton of value so please go ahead and like rate and review the show um it allows us to get more fantastic guests like ash um thank you again and
0: uh, we'll go ahead and sign off i'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey without a strong why it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential my name is dr jason ballara and every week i meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.